Ladies and gentlemen, Foreign Minister, honoured guests, welcome to the 5th LSE Asia Forum. And today we are discussing, as you know, the theme of China and the world, the challenges of change. And we are delighted to see so many alumni and other friends of the school at the forum and all of those who have come here from London hope to have the chance of talking to you during the day. These Asia forums are a symbol of the importance that China and Asia has for the LSE. Probably 20% of our students are from this region. We have around 600 Chinese students in the school at the moment. And of course, our connection with Asia goes back a long way. And the presence of Foreign Minister Yang Jiechi, who is an alumnus, is a testimony to that long-standing connection. And we look forward to hearing from him in just a moment. Before I ask him to speak, however, let me thank all of those who have decided to join us and thank you uh, for appearing very early in the morning. I told the minister that there was no doubt that LSE alumni would get up early uh, when he apologized for the fact that he was here early. But that has allowed us to have a good early start to the day, which I think will be a very full one. And so it's actually rather good that we are getting going uh, promptly. I'd like to thank our forum supporters who are uh, listed behind me, um, and also particularly to thank the Chinese Institute for International Studies and its director, Professor Chu, and I would like to ask him to speak to us briefly before we hear from the minister. Professor. Your Excellency, Minister Yang Jiechi, Sir Howard Davis, Sir Peter Sutherland, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. It's my honor to address this prominent gathering and as a sole host of the fifth LSE Asia Forum, I have the great pleasure to welcome you all on behalf of the China Institute for International Studies. I, uh, I would like to take this opportunity to wish every success to this forum. LSE has been long famous for its innovation and contribution to the social sciences. Regarded as a leading pioneer at field, in the fields as economy and international relations, LSE enjoys a profound reputation worldwide let alone the 15 Nobel Prize winners and so many national leaders coming out from the school. My institute, CIRS, is the first institute of international studies founded in the People's Republic of China. 
we are at the same time a national center of international studies, a think tank of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China, a platform for track to diplomacy, and an active actor in public diplomacy. As always, we cherish the opportunity in collaboration with LSE. And uh, I believe the cooperation we have with LSE on this ongoing Asia Forum will certainly lay a new foundation for our future cooperation with LSE. Ladies and gentlemen, today is a very important occasion, an opportunity for us all to understand better China and the world. It's our good fortune to have His Excellency Minister Yang Jiechi, Minister of Foreign Affairs of China, but also a brilliant LSE alumni to address our forum. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in giving a warm welcome to His Excellency Minister Yang Jiechi. <clears throat> Chairman Sutherland, Director Davies, Director Chu Xing, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to join you at this opening session of the fifth Asia Forum, co-sponsored by LSE and the China Institute of International Studies. This is the first time that the Asia Forum is being held in China's mainland. Let me extend warm congratulations on its opening and sincere welcome to all the guests and LSE alumni here. I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to go to Great Britain and pursue studies at the world-renowned LSE in the 1970s. You can imagine that, as a student, I had to study very hard, and yet I found my time at LSE most rewarding and memorable. It was not only an educational experience, but also an eye-opener for me, and it prepared me well for my diplomatic career in the ensuing years. What I learned at LSE with the help of my teachers and the fellow students is an invaluable asset for my whole life and I feel a deep debt of gratitude to LSE and all the teachers who taught me so much. Let me tell you that um, each time I returned to Britain after leaving LSE, I would try to take some time from my crowded schedule to retrace my steps back to LSE campus to feel like a student again and renew friendship with school professors and other faculty members. I'm pleased to learn that the school has produced many outstanding talents over the years and the campus has expanded. This, I know, is not easy in London, where land is incredibly expensive. 
Time flies. More than 30 years have passed since I left LSE. The school has gone through many changes, but the world that we live in has gone through even bigger changes. This was particularly true in the last 10 years, the first decade of the 21st century. It was a decade of crisis and transformation, and of cooperation and development. A host of major events, including the September 11th terrorist attacks in the United States, the war in Iraq, the international financial crisis, and the rise of the overall strengths of developing countries, have brought about fundamental changes in the international landscape, and hastened the arrival of a new era. A era marked by economic fluctuations, institutional overhaul, structural adjustments, and above all, greater cooperation among countries. My professors have taught me some English. Now I will try to speak some English in outlining my views. Unprecedented opportunities and challenges. Countries must help each other, live in harmony, and join hands to build a better homeland for humanity. I think we can proceed from the following aspects: first, adhere to multilateralism and promote democracy in international relations. The collective strength of developing countries has been growing in recent years. A number of big developing countries are rising rapidly, with much bigger influence and stronger voice in world affairs. The balance of power is moving increasingly towards equilibrium, holding out a bright prospect for a multipolar world. Multilateralism is an important approach to settle international disputes, an effective way. To enhance international cooperation and address common challenges to mankind, China stands for mutual respect and equality in developing state-to-state -state relations. All countries, big or small, strong or weak, rich or poor, are equal members of the international community. We must abide by the principle of democracy and ensure the rights of equal participation. By all countries in the efforts to safeguard world peace and promote common development, world affairs cannot be decided by only one or two countries. To adhere to multilateralism, we must first and foremost to respect the authority of the United Nations and uphold the collective security regime. China is ready to work tirelessly with all other countries. To build a multipolar world and promote democracy in international relations. Second, strengthen cooperation to tackle global challenges and regional hotspot issues. We live in an era of globalization. Globalization brings with it not only opportunities but also difficulties and challenges. A case in point is the continuing financial crisis. And the structural and deep-seated problems it has laid bare in the world economy, the recent Dubai debt crisis and European sovereign debt crisis, remind us 
that the world economic upturn is far from being firmly established. At the same time, global issues such as climate change, food security, energy security, and public health security have become more acute. Terrorism, the spread of weapons of mass destruction, communicable diseases, and other non-traditional security threats still exist. While long-standing regional hotspot issues such as the Iranian nuclear issue, the Korean nuclear issue in Afghanistan remain unresolved. In short, we are confronted with severe challenges in our effort to achieve world peace and development. Global challenges call for a global response, and no one should stay indifferent. As a responsible member of the international community, China has taken an active part in the global affairs <coughs> and efforts to counter challenges and has made contributions commensurate with its capabilities. Here I want to make a special mention of China's participation in peacekeeping operations. China sent its first group of peacekeepers to Timor-Leste in 2000. Since then, we have sent a total of 14,000 personnel to various United Nations peacekeeping missions. Today, China is the largest contributor of peacekeepers among the five permanent members of the UN Security Council. Some of our peacekeepers even gave their lives while performing peacekeeping duties. I believe that as China's economic and overall national strength further grows, it will make even greater contribution to regional and world peace, stability and development within the realm of its capabilities. Third, strengthen practical cooperation in pursuit of mutual benefit. The world economy faces new development opportunities, but it is also confronted with uncertainties and destabilizing factors brought about by the financial crisis. The overall trading environment has become more complicated and protectionist sentiments are on the rise. We must realize that globalization has linked the interests of all countries together. The business ties among countries today are so close that if any country attempts to resort to the old practice of protectionism and erect trade barriers, it can only end up hurting the interests of not only others, but also its own. We must follow the trend of our time and seize the opportunities provided by globalization to intensify practical cooperation and achieve mutual complementarity and win-win progress. China regards stronger practical cooperation with other countries as a cornerstone of its foreign policy. In the past 30-odd years since reform and opening up, China's external trade has surged from a mere 20 billion US dollars to 2.2 trillion US dollars. And China has become the world's largest exporting and second largest importing country. In conducting cooperation with other countries, we lay emphasis on mutual benefit and seek to expand common interests. And we aim to promote world development 
for our own development. We have fulfilled our commitment under the UN Millennium Declaration, provided economic assistance to more than 120 developing countries and cancelled debts owed by 49 heavily indebted poor countries, at least developing, developed countries. We are of the view that China cannot achieve development in isolation from the world, and the world needs China for development and prosperity. China is ready to share global responsibilities and development benefits with other countries and work together for more balanced and inclusive economic globalization. Fourth, step up cultural and people-to-people -people exchanges to deepen mutual understanding. As a Chinese saying goes, amity between people holds the key to sound relations between states. There cannot be sound state-to-state -state relations in the absence of mutual understanding among the people. We live in a diverse world, and we must view such diversity with an open and inclusive mind. We must treat each other as equals, respect the unique historical and cultural background of each and every country, and respect other countries' right to choose social systems and development paths suited to their national conditions. We should endeavor to find common ground and seek harmony in this diverse world, push and push forward development through exchanges. Since reforming and opening up, China's cultural and educational exchanges with the rest of the world have flourished. We have received a total of more than 1.6 million students from over 180 countries and regions. Every year, the Chinese make over 50 million visits to different parts of the world, and more and more people are choosing to study abroad. There are now about 200,000 Chinese students in Europe, and more than 100,000 of them are studying in the United Kingdom. The UK has hence become home to the largest Chinese student community in the EU. I'm gratified to note that as a top-notch institution of higher learning, LSE has attracted a large number of Chinese students. I want to stress here that China needs to learn more about the world, and the world also needs to know more about China. We will continue to enhance culture and people-to-people -people exchanges with other countries and encourage different civilizations to cast aside suspicions and misgivings and learn from each other with an inclusive spirit. Only in this way can our world become a better and more colorful place. Ladies and gentlemen, it is true that China has achieved notable economic and social progress but it is still at the initial stage of socialism and will remain so for a long time to come. China has a big population and weak economic foundation, and its development is uneven. We are keenly aware of the realities we face and the difficulties we must overcome in order to achieve development in the 21st century. To ensure a better life for the 1.3 billion Chinese people, 
we must focus all our effort on development, follow a path of peaceful development, pursue win-win strategy of opening up and foster a peaceful and stable external environment. We want to join the rest of the world in an unremitting effort to build a harmonious world of enduring peace and common prosperity. Ladies and gentlemen, today LSE graduates are active across the world. As a bridge, they have facilitated cooperation among countries and friendship among peoples. In my view, we should not only be a good bridge, but also build more bridges to further promote educational and cultural exchanges between countries. This Asia Forum has given us a platform and an opportunity to explore together ways to meet global challenges and open up new vistas for future development. In conclusion, I wish this forum a crowning success. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Minister. We now have the formal process of appointing you an honorary fellow. Mr. Yang Jiechi is the most senior LSE alumnus in China and, of course, the current Minister of Foreign Affairs. In 1974, at a time when China was emerging from the Cultural Revolution, he was one of a group of pioneering students sent by the Foreign Ministry to study at the LSE. Since then, the Chevening Scholarships have become the successors to those 1970s scholarships for Chinese officials, and aspiring LSE Chevening Scholars come to the LSE and are inspired by their predecessors in the 1970s, who are now in senior leadership positions in China. As Foreign Minister, Minister Yang has been closely involved in China-U.S. relations, beginning with his first overseas posting as Second Secretary at the Chinese Embassy in the United States in 1983, and culminating in his appointment as Chinese Ambassador to the United States from 2001 to 2005. He has also played a vital role in enhancing China's position in global governance. More parochially, from the LSE point of view, he has played a key part in initiating two new collaborative projects with the school. Under the first, from the last academic year, LSE Ideas has each year committed to host two officials from the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs as visiting scholars working on specific research projects. And the second project involves a dedicated Chevening Scholarship for one Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs official studying for a master's degree each year at the school. The involvement of Foreign Minister Yang has been crucial to the success of these projects, and he and I discussed ways in which we might continue this relationship in the future when we met just a few moments ago. They serve to underline that the relationship he began with the school 36 years ago continues strongly today. Chairman, I ask that Yang Jiechi be admitted as an honorary fellow 
of the London School of Economics and Political Science. Court of Governors, I admit you as an honorary fellow of the London School of Economics and Political Science. Thank, Thank you, so you very much, much indeed. Thank you, Chairman Sutherland. Uh, thank you, Director Davis. It's in a high honor. Uh, to be named an honorary fellow of LSE. I have been a student of LSE, although I left the school uh, quite some years ago, because the school has taught me a lot. And uh, I went back to London on many occasions. Sometimes I would go to the school. Sometimes I would ask the driver to take a particular route so that I could get, catch a glimpse of the school and I'm very glad uh, that uh, quite a few of my fellow students uh, were in the audience, and also my professor, Professor Yahuda, who taught me a lot when I was uh, on, the, on the campus. I think this is not an honor for me, but uh, this is a clear manifestation of the importance LSE attaches to interaction with China at large. I'm an honorary fellow. This is high honor, but I will continue to do more solid work uh, for furtherance of collaboration between China and LSE. And I wish LSE even greater success and more beautiful days to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. You are now entitled to have some breakfast if you promise to be back here just after 9.30 when we will welcome the Duke of York. Thank you. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, as chairman of the London School of Economics uh, Board of Governors, let me say that to participate in this particular conference is already an honor because of its palpable success as demonstrated by the numbers that are present here today. And I think that that success is therefore ensured by your engagement which is another demonstration of the loyalty that so many of you feel towards the school. Thank you for your support and for this testimony. I'd like to take the opportunity to reiterate what Howard Davies said earlier. LSE is very grateful indeed for all the support given to us by our sponsors and supporters. It's very much appreciated. I'm proud on behalf of LSE to welcome His Royal Highness the Duke of York to our Asia Forum. We're delighted that the Duke has found time to be with us today 
and we look forward to hearing from him shortly. Before I introduce the Duke, I'd like to say a brief word about what makes LSE special. It's always been part of the school's mission to reach out from the academic world to the real world of government and business. And with the majority of our students and many of our staff coming from outside the UK, the LSE is a university with global interests and influence. And this is graphically demonstrated here today. We hope that we have something of value to bring you in China, as indeed the foreign minister suggested we most definitely had earlier this morning. This crucially important country, in a crucially important moment of time, is a connection which is valuable indeed for both sides. The Duke, as many of you will know, is the UK's special representative for international trade and investment. It's very much in this capacity that he is in Beijing and speaks to us today. He has held this position since 2001, after 22 years of distinguished service in the Royal Navy. Your Highness, it's a great honour for LSE that you've kindly agreed to join us here today, and therefore I'm delighted to invite you to speak to us now. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted uh, to be able to join you just for a short time at the beginning uh, of your uh, London School of Economics Asia Forum. These are the sort of events that members of the royal family are occasionally asked to come and, as it were, pat you on the head before you start. Then we are rudely removed from the room and unable to join you uh, and actually understand and listen and be a part of the very important thinking and discussions that are going to take place here uh, during the rest of either this morning or the day. And I'm afraid that today is no exception. I'm being shuffled off shortly. Uh, to go somewhere else. Um, so my participation is just to say uh, hello <laughs> and shortly to say goodbye. <laughs> However, this forum uh, is an increasingly influential event and it's attracting a great many thinkers, policymakers, academics and ideas. But it also brings together business people who are engaged in some of the key issues facing not only this region, but more widely the globe. It is a great opportunity today to debate some of the challenging issues that face us all uh, with high-profile leaders in their particular fields. Now, I've 
heard already about the number of different panels that uh, will take place uh, today, addressing a range of issues as you face uh, the coming years. The first panel that, that uh, I have uh, heard about that is going to take place this morning will be discussing financial regulatory issues, an area which challenges uh, all of us, uh, and those uh, challenges are all too apparent. Rather than being shuffled off in about five minutes, I would have actually had liked the opportunity to learn a little bit about what's going to happen in the future. But I do hope that somehow somebody will give me either a video recording of what went on or a transcript, because these ideas that you are talking about are very, very important to the future. Not only the future of the globe, but also to the future, in some respects, of London. Because London is one of the world's leading financial centres. China is home to some of the largest financial institutions in the world and is rapidly a developing market for the full range of financial products and services that we see in London on a daily basis. So between the UK and China, there is strong mutual and global interest in building a financial regulatory regime that is stable and that promotes financial stability, but at the same time does it in a way that does not in increase costs too much and continues to encourage investment. It is an area that, in which both countries are fully engaged and in which we have a very close level of cooperation, particularly under the United Kingdom-China Economic and Financial Dialogue. More broadly, I would hope that Chinese companies um, will continue to take advantage of the benefits of establishing a presence in the United Kingdom as a part of your going out uh, business strategy. Plugging into the United Kingdom's strong innovation, research and development platform will, I think, bring you strength and depth to any globally focused business. In addition to this, London as one of the world's leading uh, international financial centres can also offer access to capital and liquidity to help support the internationalisation of your businesses. Uh, now, the United Kingdom and the London School of Economics in particular lead the world in research and education in the areas of finance and economics. The links that have been established um, through that experience and through the long collaboration that has taken place make a huge contribution to the relations between the United Kingdom and the world. This is not just just with China or just with Asia, it is with the world. And that is in the field of business, government relations, academics, 
and in other areas. These links go from strength to strength. And just one example, because this year we estimate that there are going to be over 80,000 Chinese students studying in the United Kingdom. And there are a growing number of British students that are beating a path to China. The UK's higher educational institutions, and I would say this, wouldn't I, are among the best in the world. And I would also add that the London School of Economics is amongst the best of those. So today, I wish this forum and the continued collaboration between academia and China and in Britain every good fortune. I hope that you have a really, truly interesting day and uh, my apologies and sadness that I can't stay here to learn more about the very interesting discussions that you are going to have. In the meantime, have a wonderful day and uh, thank you for listening.